So we're looking at how to have a flourishing life, a life that flourishes with God and with others. And we said last week that a, a life that flourishes is a life that loves. God is love, and so we love because he first loved us. And studies have shown that if you measure the end-of-life happiness, satisfaction, it comes down largely to having great relationships and learning how to love. And that's not surprising. So we're going to look at that again today. And today we're going to move to a particular focus of where love needs to happen, and that's in marriage and family. I realize as soon as I say that, I look across the audience, and I know some of you are married, and many of you are not yet, or not anymore. And I realize it's hard to talk about marriage in a group as diverse as this, but it's necessary. Why is it necessary? It's necessary because this is what the Bible says, and we want to build our lives around the things of Scripture. And some of you who are not married, but and may never be married, or never married again, are going to rub shoulders with people who need to know what does the Bible say about marriage and family. And so even if, even if you're not married today, what we're going to talk about is going to be something that's very helpful for you to be able to communicate with other people in your, in your world. And through that communication of what God's plan for marriage is, you will love them. You will be loving them to help them understand what does God say about marriage. Now, marriage is good. It's God's gift. So why is it often thought of to be not? Maybe you're here today and say, my marriage is good. I won't take a survey. Or my marriage is doing okay. I wish it were better. Or maybe it's possible that you're here and say, we're just holding on by a thread. And I'm not sure where you are, but I think when we look at what the Bible says about marriage and family and the love that is required to make that happen, um, you will be encouraged to know that as in all the things we'll talk about love, who's our example for love? Jesus. Let me say one more thing. Jesus is the example on how to have a great marriage. And guess what about Jesus? He was never married. He was single. And yet, when we look at the Bible today, we're going to be told to compare ourselves to Jesus in the way we are husbands and wives and children in family. Because Jesus was perfectly the God-man, fully satisfied without marriage. Okay? That should help us even as we think about this subject if you're on one or the other side of the context of marriage. Paul says, love like Jesus. That's the flourishing life. Last week we looked at Colossians chapter 3, and we summed it up with verse 14, that if you could, uh, we, we talked about some of the traits of marriage, gentle, kind, loving, compassionate, and some of the habits of love, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. And then the summary statement was, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Wouldn't you love for every marriage to be perfectly harmonious? Mm, I know I would. And sometimes it is. 
And sometimes it's hard for two people to live together. But you put on love. It's a command and an action verb to put on love. Now the place that we're going to go this morning is the book of Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible or you want to reach for one in front of you there, Ephesians chapter 5 has one of the greatest sections about marriage, and we're going to take a little time to talk about that this morning. Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 23. How you doing? Okay, now marriages don't last because you fall in love. Okay, if you're on the verge, you're hoping to get married someday, marriages don't last because you fall in love. Marriages last because you choose to love. You choose to love. And this section in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, describes Paul's rollout of the role of a wife, the role of a husband, the functions of a husband and a wife. And they are different than contemporary worldview of marriage. And so I want you to have the, the Bible's understanding and pray that by God's grace you'll be able to apply that to your life or wherever it is you'll put this. I want to jump, first of all, to verse um, 31, which is the summary. We're going to pick this apart, but this is a statement that Paul makes, and he's actually quoting from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And this is a text that Jesus quoted in the Gospels. So this very verse is found in the opening book of the Bible, Genesis. It's found in Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 19. And then it's used by the Apostle Paul. Now everybody, if it's in the first book of the Bible and Jesus quotes it and the Apostle Paul refers to it, do you think it's important? It is the prescription, if you will, for what marriage is. And this is how it begins. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, it's easy to think about marriage then, prescribed in Genesis and Matthew and Ephesians by Moses, Jesus, and Paul as having three important components to put together a great marriage. And you got to have all three for them to make sense. And the first is that in order to be married to a woman, a man has to leave his mother. And everybody said, yeah, I mean, you have to leave home. Now, it's very interesting that in the first century, when this was written, and even in, in Moses' day, when a son would get married, he would typically build right next to his father's home. And they would live as a clan together. So the father's house would be here. The son's house would be here. The next son's house would be here. The, the next son's house would be here. And they would live together as a clan. And it's to that group of people, and again in the first century in Jesus' day, it was the same, largely. To those individuals, it was said, a, a man shall leave his father and mother. And yet they're all building houses next to each other. What's that about? Well, it means that leaving does not necessarily mean geography. It's something else going on in the heart and soul and mind of the son who says, I'm starting new. Now, let's be honest. 
Space and geography helps. That's a joke. Okay, but it helps to be apart a little bit, but you have to make a, 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 a disconnect between your mother and girls of your father in order to do the second thing that's required. So there's some kind of leaving emotionally and a sense of authority. I'm moving into a new category. And then hold fast to his wife. In the old text, we used to use the word cleave, which really means to be glued together. It is the sense of being attached to someone in a new and enduring kind of way. You leave home and you attach yourself to your wife or to your husband. And the sense is to be glued together. So just think about gluing together two pieces of wood. If you glue together two pieces of wood and you let that adhere together and then you try to separate them, what happens when you separate them? I mean, it's a mess. Because some of this is over here and some of this is over here and it's really not intended to occur because you attach yourself to that person in a bond that is so secure and it can happen because you've left the other bonds and you begin this one. So you leave and then you become attached to and stuck to. And when we say you, you hold fast, the best way to think about that is in the vows that you make when you stand in a place like this and you say, um, for better or for worse, in richer or poorer, if we get sick and cancer or if we're healthy all the days of our life, um, I choose you and I'm stuck to you. I'm sticking to you. And then what's the result? Number three, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a beautiful picture of the best word to put is intimacy, that you become one together. And that's the goal of marriage. The goal of your marriage is that you have oneness together. And it happens first by saying, I had a life with my parents and now I have a life with my spouse. And the goal of our marriage is to become one together. That's what we're aiming at when when we read in Genesis and in Matthew 19 and here in Ephesians chapter 5, intimacy together. All right, any questions? All right, there, there it is. That's sort of the summary of where we're aiming. Now, in this text, in Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 33, there are, there are instructions for wives and for husbands. And these instructions, uh, I'm going to take the husband first. Because in both cases, the instructions are aimed at being like Jesus in your marriage. So we're going to take the husbands first. And here's where it is in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives. Here it is, couldn't be more simple. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now this is a text about marriage, husbands and wives. We're going to come back to the wife in the first two verses, but these verses lay out how it is that a husband and a wife are to be like Jesus. So husbands, love your wives. And then it says, as Christ loved the church. And all of these verses are unpacking the way in which Jesus loves. A lot of people confuse these 
verses, and I want to see if I can help you understand it with a diagram. Here's how it goes. It is about Christ who loved the church. Question, how did Jesus love the church? Well, the text that we just read says that he gave himself up for her. Who's her? The church, not the wife. We're now looking at the example. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. A lot of people think her is the wife. It's not. It's the church. He gave himself up for the church. Why? It says these, this language, having cleansed her, that's the church, not the wife, by the washing of water and the word. That is, the church becomes born again through the water of baptism and the truth of the word of God that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that the church should be holy and without blemish. So there is this example that husbands are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did he do it? He gave himself up in order that the church would become his redeemed bride. Every Christian forgiven of their sins, filled with the Holy Spirit, called a child of God without spot or blemish. The, the real purpose of being saved by Jesus is that we're going to heaven and we're going to be the bride of Christ. How great is that? And the picture of the love of Jesus, it is that it is through his death on the cross that this becomes possible, that we can be a church of redeemed people with our sins forgiven, with new mission, new purpose in our life. The illustration is about how great it is to be part of the church, being a part of the redeemed community of God. We belong to him, we're fully forgiven. Got it? Okay, all that creates is the flow of what God did through Christ to make his church a new, flourishing group of people who love him more than the things of this world. It's beautiful. The wife's not in this part yet. This is the church. And God used the church to be uh, he used marriage to be an example of what he did to the church. That helps us if we know that. Marriage is an illustration of what God did to his church. He, he helps us be forgiven and to flourish his bride without spot or wrinkle. Now, let's go back to the text and see what it says for men. Husbands, love your wives. Verse 28, in the same way, in, in the same way as what? We just talked about it. In the same way that Jesus gave himself up that the church could flourish, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. You see, the church is Christ's body, his bride, and he loves it enough to die for it that it would flourish and become what it otherwise could not become. And so husbands, in the same way that Christ did that, here's how it goes. Husbands, love in order that your wife can flourish as a woman. 
What does it take? It takes kind of a sacrificial love that you would love her more than you love your own life. You love your body, you take care of yourself, you preserve yourself, so you do in the same sense with your own wife. Husbands love their wives as their own bodies. So when you think about Christ sacrificing, giving himself up so the church could become the flourishing church, the picture is Paul saying to every husband, you should love your wife in the most sacrificial way that her life would flourish as a woman. And she would say, how great it is to be loved by you. It's great. Like I know I'm loved by you. It's a beautiful thing. And I know that you would sacrifice anything in order that I would flourish as a woman. Does that sound like marriage? Hmm. What happens when husbands don't have that? Wives don't flourish. But the example is the sacrificial love of Jesus. And I'd ask every wife in the room, would you, would you do what God asks you to do in your marriage if your husband laid down his life and sacrificed everything for your flourishing? Yeah, this is a complimentary picture of how marriage is to work together. I might just say, husbands, this is a command, not a feeling. Not a feeling. It is a command to sacrificially love your wife. Now, that's hard sometimes. Verse 29 says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, we're members of his body. I mean, Jesus did all of that for his church. And husbands, you know, you take care of yourself. You, you, you have a sense of self-preservation. Well, the way to preserve your life most is to love your bride in this way. Now, there's challenges with loving aren't there? We are different people. Would you agree? How many of you think you married someone just like you? Well, if you, if you did, you, you find out pretty quick that you're not. Lucy and I have our differences, and we have had 42 and a half years of marriage. How many of them were happy, hon? All of them. Oh, beautiful. Okay, 42 and a half years, but we are so different in so many ways. I, and when I was thinking about it this week, we had a little illustration. I thought I'd just share it with you. Sometimes Lucy says things to me that I simply cannot make the connection to any prior conversation. <laughs> now, it begins that, on the one hand, I don't need as many words in the course of a day as Lucy enjoys, uh, as much as I speak. But the other thing is, there are times that we are... Um, in the same house together, that sometimes we talk to each other in different rooms, and I may be in my office, and she will be in the bedroom, and she's talking, and I may talk back to her in a good way, or I may be in the closet, she may be in the kitchen talking to me, and um, I can hear her voice while she is talking. 
but I don't always know exactly what she's saying. Are you with me on this? It's like, that happens. On Friday, at 12.30, I was in my office, and she peeked her head in and said, so, don't let me forget that I have to be over there at 2.30. And I said, okay. <laughs> and she moved on to another room in the house, and I sat in my office, and I thought, I've got two hours to figure out where there is to make sure she can get there. And um, about 1.30, I said, you got an hour before you have to be there. I have no idea where there is at this point. And then at 2 o'clock, um, she got a text, and she said, oh, Erica just texted me. She wants me there at 2.15. And I said, Yes. Okay, you're going to go watch the boys next door for an hour. That's great. And I, I, when you're married together for a long time, you have to patch things together. But we, we don't always see things precisely the same. And it requires the decision to try to engage, to try to love, and to try to sacrifice. Husbands have to love in a way that Christ loved, which is a super high call to actually lay down your life on behalf of someone else. This is what makes marriage great, though. Would you, would you agree? I mean, if you can love in a sacrificial way, someone else flourishes. That's what agape is. Okay, the other piece of this is to look at verse 22 and the wives. And verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I have a pin. Is, is this not different than our world. Let's see if we can unpack it and take some of the sting out of the S word. The S word means to line up under. In no sense does the request to be submissive in heart imply a difference in value or worth, dignity, or gifting. You can see that this verse says the husband is the head of the wife. Stay with me. There is, in the mind of God, a responsibility to the husband to be, in some sense, the responsible head of a family. The one at whom the buck stops. 
it does not imply in any sense a differentiation of value, worth, equality, or gifting. My wife is more gifted than I am in many ways. She's a better woman than I am a man. She has so many more talents. But God says that in my home, I will be held responsible in some sense as the head of the house. That's God's plan. I don't treat her inferior. There's no sense of superiority in this. And the best way I can illustrate it is this. Everyone who's worried right now about this word, do you know that Jesus Christ is God and fully God? Do you believe that? You know that he said of himself, I and the Father are one. One in essence, one in value, one in full deity together. And yet what did Jesus do in his lifetime? He said, my, my will is to do the will, my work is to do the will of him who sent me. And he submitted himself to the Father's will all the way through his life, even unto death. And that's why we can flourish as the church. Because Christ, though being equal with God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be held on to. But he, he emptied himself and became obedient to the point of cro the cross, even unto death. His submission is the model for every wife who says, I can line up under my husband's authority. Now, if you look at the verse, um, it is verse 33. They're put together in this way. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So the word then that comes up in verse 33 is the word respect. Respect. And so if we were to take the same chart that we had for Christ and the church and husbands and wives, let's start with wives. And the wives' role, according to Ephesians 5 and verse 33 especially, is that the wife is to respect her husband, see his worth, his value, and encouragement, and what happens to the husband? He flourishes. A flourishing husband. Why? Because he feels respected. It's interesting that the, the Bible tells the husband to love, which is probably an easy trait for a woman, and, and, and the man must be commanded to do so. But the Bible also commands women to respect their husbands. And similarly to the man, it is a command, not a feeling. And when these two actions are put reciprocally into practice, flourishing happens. Flourishing happens. In his really good book um, called Love and Respect, Emerson, um, let me make sure I get his name, Eggerich, 
talks about a crazy cycle in marriages. A crazy cycle. And if you can imagine, I don't have it on a chart, but you have at the top, without love, and you have at the bottom, without respect. So imagine that. We're going to build a circle. Without love and without respect. Without love, she reacts without respect. He reacts without love. She reacts without respect. He reacts without love. Got it? Got the picture of it? This is what he calls the crazy cycle. Is I will respect you when you love me. I will love you if you start respecting me. And the question is, who's going to go first? Well, both have to. But if there's a burden, where does the burden fall? I just call out every man here. If you're the head of the house... It, it falls to you to say, I need you to know that I love you, and I'm sorry if I haven't loved you in a sacrificial way. I, I want to get better at it. And you can. But it's a command of both. And it creates a flourishing. Um, b- because when a husband feels disrespected, it's especially hard for him to love sacrificially. And when a wife feels unloved, it's especially hard for her to respect or to feel like I can respect. And without love, she reacts without respect. And that's how it goes. And what does the Bible encourage us to do? Oh, let's look at Christ. What did he do? He loved sacrificially and he lined up under the will of the Father and together he causes us to be in a place of flourishing as his church and every marriage could be there too. It's going to be like who's going to move. One of the assignments that you might take away if you're married is just to say, do you feel respected by me? When do you feel respected by me? Is there anything that I could do better so that you would know I really do respect you? And if you don't really respect your husband, then you need to get on your knees and pray that God will help you find something to respect and rebuild that. And maybe you you need to say to your wife, do you feel like I love you in a sacrificial way? Do you feel like I put you first? Ooh. You know, you ask those questions, you diagnose, how am I doing right now? And then just say, I want our marriage to be great because as our marriage is great, our family is great. And when our family is great, our kids flourish. And if our kids flourish, they're going to grow up knowing that this is what makes marriage great. And at Calvary, we want to build strong marriages. We don't want, we don't want marriages to be holding on by a fingernail or just status quo enduring to the end. We, we want them to be great. Because we want families to grow up saying, God is great, and Christ is the Lord, and he is the one who saved us, and we want to live like him, and that's why we love each other sacrificially, and we honor each other as Christ honored the Father. And then you build up a family. So should we have a word for kids, too? 
Okay, so let's go to kids in the family. In Colossians chapter 3, there actually is a section where these things are repeated again. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord, and husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh to them. Ooh, see another little word. Don't be harsh to your, hus- to your wife. Okay, that's the way God has loved. And then it says, children, obey your parents in... Everybody? And everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Those two could go together. But could we make a chart here on children? For children, what would children need to know? Children, what, what is the step of love to your parents? To obey them. To obey them. And what is the result of children who obey parents? Flourishing parents. It's like, yes, I asked you to clean your room and you cleaned it. Way to go. Why why is that important? Well, it's important because children are the first to know that in life there is an authority that's over them. There is an authority structure, and every one of us in the room, including me, has an authority structure over us. You will always live with authority over you. It is in the home that children are taught to understand that there is um, a right or wrong, an authority structure to follow. In another place, in Ephesians chapter 6, we have a little elaboration here of this word to us from chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise. What's the promise? That it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. You know, my mother used to say, you're within an inch of your life. So you obey and you'll you'll live longer if you obey. Um, Only half kidding. Okay, so honor your father and mother. Now, it's always right to honor your father and mother. So if you go back to the beginning that you have to leave your father and mother, you no longer under their authority, you establish your own authority with your new wife that you cling to and work toward becoming one with, but even then, it's always right to honor your parents. You don't obey them in the same way. I, I, I don't comply with everything that my parents tell me when I have my own family, but I listen to them, I honor them, and obeying and honoring your parents is the way to lead to a flourishing family. Listen, this is, the, this is what the Bible teaches, and it is, it is so different than the world system that uh, I actually met a girl a couple weeks ago who came into my office, and she said, um, I want to be baptized in your church. I said, that's fantastic. I'm so glad that you want to be baptized here. I said, tell me your story. She said, I grew up in a family of atheists. Both my parents were atheists, and they just said, whatever you want to figure out, you figure out. Go, go find out what you believe. So I started all of my search through the world religions, and I started reading the Bible about a year ago, and I read through the Bible, and I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I want to follow him. It's like, yes. But you're, you're a family that's helping your children grow up in the fear and knowledge of the Lord. And when you give them that, they flourish. Children flourish. Don't exasperate them. See, God has a plan for the family to be the, 
the fundamental building block of a society and we've lost it. And the church needs to be able to say, this really is what God says about husbands and wives. And it really is a different message, but I'm listening to the voice of God in this. And if you're thinking about building a marriage in the future, you, you may enter into it and say, well, you know, it's 50-50. No, it's not. It's 100-100 from a husband and a wife to build a happy marriage that says we're going to flourish together. And the husband's job is to say, I will lay my, down my life for you. And it's the wife's role commanded to say, I will honor you and I, I will be your helper and I will support you. I'll give wings to you that you, you will be God's man. That's a, that's a marriage and a family that I pray God will give us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you speak to every part of our life. And in this part, we probably all have a sense of, ooh, I, I wish I had done better, could do better, will do better. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will meet us where we are today and uh, give us wings to be people who follow Jesus and love like Jesus in the home. And would you just awaken and refresh love in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationship to our parents, in every circle that you give us to live today, may it be that the love of God flows through us. Put on love that will bind together everything in perfect harmony. And um, Lord, I pray that you'll just meet every heart right where they are today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.